Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Everybody and welcome back to Back to the Bins. I am your for the moment solo host, Michael Bailey, here once again to talk about some form of back issue goodness. First off, sorry that there wasn't an episode last week. I really wanted to get one out, but work has been trying to kill me, and it's going to continue to try to kill me, which is why next week we're going to have a, another guest host all on his lonesome. I'm um, looking forward to y'all hearing that. It's a gentleman by the name of Luke Giaconetti. He has written into the show before, and he has his own blog, Being Carter Hall, which I am a fan of and have participated in crossovers with over the years. So next week it's going to be Luke. But this week you got me all by my lonesome until I can get my ass in gear and get some co-hosts on this bad boy. Before I get into what I want to talk about this week, I do have some emails. I'm really excited that, uh, that I got emails uh, because I, I'm going to be honest with you folks. I, I kind of expected the audience to dry up after Scott uh, went on his hiatus. And, and that's not me you know, trying to be humble or anything like that or being self-effacing. It's just, I, you know, I thought you guys came for the, the banter between Scott and I. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that some of you have stuck around and have written in. I encourage more of you to write in at backtothebins at gmail.com. First one comes from Frankie Idiego. It says, Mike, Must There Be a Superman is in some ways one of my favorite Superman stories because it showcases how he can be a metaphor for certain things in our lives, thus bringing him closer to a true science fiction concept. In this case, he can be seen as a representative for the government, parents, or anything else that needs to be there, but can smother, in quotes, the recipient of its help or guardianship. I will agree, though, that it's somewhat hypocritical of the guardians to plant this seed in his mind, and I'll go you one further. The whole bit was unnecessary. Wouldn't it have been much better if he'd simply seen the effects of his overbearing nature on Earth without the Guardians showing him the way? I mean, I suppose it made the issue more spectacular, in quotes, to have a big action sequence in space, and after all, this is a comic book. On the other hand, hypocrisy aside, it weakens the effect of it all. And you're right, the cover is, the cover is bland. Sincerely, Frankie Adiego. Um, yeah, I, I think the story could have could have worked out maybe a little better if he had seen it himself. And and I think, to a certain extent, that would have been better for the character overall because that way he is coming to the conclusion he isn't being shown it. And I think that one of the things about Superman that he gets uh, hit with as far as a criticism is that he thinks with his fists and not with his mind, 
which I I kind of agree with and kind of don't. But you know, I like to see you know writers and creators move away from that. So if it could have been him seeing it through his own eyes, it might have worked out a little better. Uh, I, again, I've got a, an email coming on this that uh, that I'm really looking forward to reading. So so get with that writing, you, and you know who you are if you're listening to this episode. The next email comes from Stan Johnston, and uh, it, it actually talks about episodes 65 through 67. So we're going to skip the 65 uh, commentary for right now. I really want to wait till Scott gets back to deal with any emails uh, concerning shows that he and I recorded together. So uh, it says, Hi guys, just a few brief comments on recent episodes. Episode 66, Captain America number 298. I love DeMatteis's work on Cap, although I have never cared for Paul Neary's art. A bit too Kirby-esque without capturing the strengths of Kirby, in my opinion. Anyway, this is certainly a defining Red Skull story, and aside from Steve Englehart, DeMatteis may be the only other writer who has tried to flesh out the skull and make him more than someone with a hate on for Captain America. You know, in, in, in my experiences with Captain America, I'll agree with that, Stan. A lot of people really don't want to get into the Skulls mind. Mark Wade kind of tried to, but they mucked with it, and I don't think we ever got really what Mark Wade thought of the Red Skull as a character. I think that... What is his name? I can't believe I'm blanking on this. And it's all going into the show, because, folks, this is a notes-free show. No notes whatsoever. I'm going freeform. Booyah. Uh, man, Ed Brubaker, that's his name. You know, he played with the skull, but again, I don't think he really ever went into the skull's history, uh, at least in the issues of Captain America that I read. And keep in mind, I came into Brubaker's run around issue 14, so there may have been an issue before that where he went into all of that. But uh, despite all that, I, I did enjoy Brubaker's run. Uh, as much as, as much as I, I could, really. I mean, I, I kind of disagreed with the uh, kind of downer uh, stories he was telling. But, you know, he, he did the best with bringing Bucky back than I think he can bring. So, that's just my opinion. Uh, going on with Stan's email, it says, Episode 67, Superman number 247. This era of Superman is not heavily represented in my collection, but you made this sound like an entertaining issue. I do love the Kurt Swan art from the early 70s, though, and Murphy Anderson always paired well with him. This may be one to track down on eBay. Uh, go for it, Stan. Uh, I, I really I really advise you to, because even though I, I disagreed with certain concepts in the story, it's 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 an issue well worth having, even if Superman really looks like he has to go to the bathroom on the cover. So, But that's it for emails. This week... This week I'm doing something a little different. I'm not actually covering a comic book. And, and I know I usually uh, am the one on the show to bring the, the odd bit of business in, but... I really couldn't decide on an issue to cover this week. I really couldn't. I like had a bunch to choose from, and nothing really stood out. as like, read me, read me. But I was looking over at my bookshelf, and right near where the bookshelf is, I have these boxes. They're actually boxes that used to contain reams of paper that I took from work that I have put the books that I'm reading for my various podcasts in, and, I, and I've stacked on top of those you know, bits of business going going with the podcast and all that, like the more recent issues that I'm going to be covering, or research material. 
And I noticed that I had pulled uh, for research material that I, I never used, by the way. <laughs> but I pulled them just the same. Two issues of a magazine that from the end of 1988 till about 1992, I read and collected rather faithfully. And that is Comic Scene Magazine. Now, I'm going to take you back to the fall of 1988, or mid-1988 was probably more like it, because they were covering the Incredible Hulk Returns, and that came in the springtime of that year. But I'm going to take you back to that era where there was an internet, but it wasn't something that people populated as frequently as they do today, or even as frequently as they did maybe in 1995-1996. This is not me, you know, saying, in the old days everything was different, but on the other hand, it is me saying, in the old days everything was different. I was a very solitary comic book collector. Just how it worked out. I did not have a mentor, an older brother, an uncle, uh, a Walt Hadley that lived down the street, uh, you know, that Scott and Chris had. I didn't have anybody. I was discovering all of this on my own. And I had no marks in the road, basically, telling me about other comics that were out there outside of the ones that were at the Walden Books and the Super Fresh and that newsstand across the street or across the way from the Carvel Ice Cream. You know, I didn't have anything. I I just had what was in front of me. And one day, I'm in Walden Books. I, I don't. I think it was the one in Trexler Town. It could have been the one in the Lehigh Street Mall, uh, which we also would frequent from time to time. And I noticed that there was this magazine called, you know, Comics Scene, and it had a pink cover, and it had X Factor and Batman on it. And I noticed that it had something about the Incredible Hulk movie that was coming up. So I was like, "Damn, I'm I'm picking this up." And as I said, for the next couple of years, I've followed it rather faithfully. I would miss an issue or two here and there. Uh, it was a bi-monthly magazine, so, and I wasn't really regular at going like every week to check what was coming up, because I really didn't think in those terms at the time. I was, I was really a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants collector during that era. But Comic Scene was a way for me to learn more about the larger world of comic book collecting. Uh, A lot of the time, there wouldn't be articles about comics I was reading. In fact, very rarely were there articles about the Superman books, with the exception of issue... It was either 11 or 12. I just looked at it the other day. I really wish I would have have pulled that out so I could could actually probably have talked about that issue instead of the two that I have sitting in front of me. But that had like a bunch of articles about Superman. It had an interview with Richard Donner, which actually I believe was a reprint from Starlog. And that was the first time I learned that there was this other footage from Superman 2 that we would eventually get to see, you know, back in 2006 uh, when they released the Donner cut of the movie. They had an interview with Kirk Allen, which was kind of cool. Interview with George Perez about what was going on in the Superman books. And an interview about the Superman musical, which up until that time I had only heard about in the introduction to Superman from the 30s to the 70s. So that was a really neat magazine to read because I got to learn a lot more about Superman that I had learned before. In fact, that was also the place where I learned that there was an ABC 
television version of the musical, which I now own on bootleg video, and it's it's rather awful. But but I I devoured this magazine. I really did. I read every article. Didn't matter if I cared about it or not, I read the article. I read this thing from cover to cover. And it really showed me certain titles that I would have never heard about. Faust, which was a book that a gentleman named uh, David Quinn and, and, and Tim Vigil did, which I have a bunch of issues. Now, mainly because my friend Ryan was into it, and Tim Vigil was at DragonCon in 2001, and he had a bunch of back issues laying on the on his table, so I, I, I snapped those up just so I could finally read this bizarre magazine. Uh, that same issue also had an article in the Beetlejuice animated series, of all things, which I found out recently that my wife likes. Turns out she was a really big fan of that show when she was a kid. So, yeah, that shows that that was just a little past my Saturday morning viewing times. <laughs> but... I had these two issues out of Comic Scene that, I, the, as I said, I was going to use as research for other podcasts I'm working on, and, and they really take me back to the summer of 1990. 1990 and 1991 are really the peak of the golden age of my comic book existence. Uh, I think that golden age ended with the death of Superman, and that's not me making a, a comment on, on how terrible the death of Superman was to the comic book industry, because I don't think it was. I think it was the the sign that things were about to go south, uh, and it was like the last big party, which is odd because it was the, the death of a major character. But that, you know, that was kind of the end, because that's when Jerry Ordway, or around that time at least, in, in 1993, was when Jerry Ordway left the Superman titles. He was there when I started, and when he left, it was like the final... Uh, Markoff for that time period. But 1990 was really when I, I started to kind of come into my own as a comic book collector and really started trying to pick up more in the way of back issues and learning about other characters. I, I had been reading the Batman books. I got into Flash that summer. And the first issue of Comic Scene I want to talk about today, issue 14, I bought right before a trip I took where I flew from Allentown to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta, my grandparents and I, well, they drove, I rode, to El Paso, Texas. And this issue of Comic Scene was what I read on the plane, which was my very first plane ride ever, uh, as I flew to Atlanta on kind of a, a cloudy morning. It wasn't as bad as the flight back. The flight back was bumpy as hell. But, <laughs> but this is what I had in my lap, and... The articles in here are many and varied. It, 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 the cover is uh, Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy, because this was the summer of 1990. Dick Tracy was the big, huge blockbuster film of that summer. In the upper left-hand corner, you had Captain America, Simon and Kirby, celebrate 50 years of his adventures. And you have a, a, an image from an old Captain America comic from the from the 40s, and, and the cover type is Special Dick Tracy Issue. Dick Tracy, Warren Beatty takes on the mob, and Hollywood! Batman, rewriting the myth, Archie, TV wrinkles an American team, and Mutant World, and welcome to it. So after the table of contents where you see Matt Salinger 
the Captain America of the 1990, finally released in 1992 Captain America movie staring at you. On the inside cover, you have an ad for Dick Tracy masks, as well as masks from Gremlins 2, because that was one of the other big movies of that summer. You get a, a Word Balloons, as it was called, by the editor, David McDonnell. You have the lettering, which was the letter section. I, I like this because it, <laughs> it has a picture of Wolfgang Puck, uh, the famous chef, with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he's got his foot on what looks to be a member of the Foot Clan. That was uh, That's just bizarre to see. You have... Uh, there, there's... Um, a comic book out there, I think it's named Yosagi Ujimbo. I've never read it, so I apologize if I'm uh, butchering that, but it has him in a lake, and he's all wet, and this little mouse character says Yosagi Yojimbo, so I guess that's uh, comedy. Um, the first article is Jan Strand and Richard Corbin uh, interviewed for their Return to the Mutant Planet don't really remember anything about this. It has some uh, pretty decent artwork, but even though I read that article, I, I was never interested in picking that up. Uh, then we get an interview with one of my favorite writers of this period, uh, Gerard Jones, The Scribe Strikes, and it talks about his work on Green Lantern uh, that had just gotten his uh, new series at that time, his work on The Shadow Strikes, and... Uh, <laughs> His work on the uh, Ford Fairlane comic book, which is just odd as hell. Uh, I, I was actually reading the Green Lantern book at this time, so I was very excited to read this article. Also, had some comments about uh, El Diablo, which was another series he wrote. Next article is The Wild Wild West, which uh, features pimpage for the then-upcoming Wild Wild West comic book. Uh, again, I read this article, had absolutely no interest in it, because I never watched The Wild Wild West. And uh, I'm sure it's a great show, just never popped up on my radar. Got an ad for The Brat Pack, which uh, <laughs> which uh, d- uh, Chris Honeywell and I recently discussed on Comics Monthly Monday over at Two True Freaks. An interview with Gray Morrow. A profile of the... Serials, movies, TV shows, and cartoons of Dick Tracy up until the current movie. And I loved this article. I was just fascinated reading about all of the different movie serials. Uh, Eventually, in another article, they get into the television pilot. And I ate that stuff up as a a 14-year-old. I still kind of do. I just don't have the same enthusiasm for it anymore. That's kind of sad. So then we get an article on the Dick Tracy movie of 1990, where we got lots of pictures from it. Uh, we have a profile of the Dick Tracy comic strip that at the time was being written by Max Allen Collins and drawn by Dick uh, Loker, or Locher. I, I, I really wish I knew how to pronounce that name. I, I apologize for that. Then we get an article on Brat Pack, which I briefly discussed in that previously mentioned uh, episode with Chris Honeywell. Warren Scarin is interviewed next, and he was the rewrite guy on Batman, the Tim Burton 1989 film. So you get kind of an inside look at what his thought processes were with the film and who might have played Robin. They have a picture of the kid. He was... uh, 
It was Ricky Addison Reed who was in Return to Salem's Lot. So, I guess, I don't know, he's... I guess you dye his hair brown, he would have looked like Robin. I'm just, I'm kind of glad they avoided Robin in the Tim Burton films, because I don't know if Burton would have done right by the character. He obviously wasn't comfortable with him, because he had two shots to put him in a movie and didn't do it in either, so there you go. We get an uh, interview with Albert Poon. I think that's how you spell his, uh, or pronounce his last name. It's P-Y-U-N. All about his work on the Captain America film that was destined to be a blockbuster for theaters and ended up getting released on video and is made fun of constantly. So, then Will Murray, who who was a, a prolific writer for Comic Scene Magazine, has Project Captain America Declassified, where Joe Simon and Jack Kirby give you the lowdown on on how they created the character. I like this article because they actually kind of talk about the Reb Brown films of the 1970s, late 1979, and uh, they didn't care for it. And I hadn't seen them by this point, so I was kind of fascinated by hearing that the creators really didn't like it. So, Next up is an article. Now, this thing is fascinating to me. In 1990, in the summer, there was a NBC television movie called Archie to Riverdale and Back Again. And this was an adult Archie movie, where all of the characters from Riverdale, Archie, Jughead, Reggie, Betty and Veronica, were all grown up and coming to their high school reunion. And I watched this thing. I'd actually I actually kind of wish I had it on DVD. I'm hoping to find a bootleg of it at some point. And it's it's just a fascinating movie because it it was goofy. I don't really remember the plot all that much, but I remember that Jughead rapped at one point. He did a rap version of Sugar Sugar, which I I think the the less said about uh the best. The cast is kind of interesting. The <laughs> the guy that played Archie his name is Christopher Rich, and if you ever watched the sitcom Reba, he was Reba's ex-husband. He was also on a very short-lived sitcom called The Charmings that ran in the late 80s, where it was Snow White and Prince Charming living in suburbia, and their evil mother-in-law was the evil queen. It was it was It was pretty lousy, but I vividly remember watching it. Uh, and Rich does an okay job as Archie. Betty is played by Lauren Holly, who, if you are a fan of NCIS, she was Jenny, the director of NCIS for a few seasons. She was also in the movie Dumb and Dumber. She was on the show Picket Fences. This is when she was a... Wow, she was young and hot. Um... <laughs> Karen Coppins played Veronica... And the only thing I have seen this woman in, other than this telefilm, was she was Jim Carrey's girlfriend in the vampire comedy Once Bitten. And had a very, very funny line to me. Uh, (laughs) uh, Sam Whipple played Jughead. Only thing I ever saw this guy in. Uh, Only two things I remember seeing this guy in is he was a a, a program director in... uh, the Doors movie that Oliver Stone made. He was the one that was flipping out when Jim Morrison looked into the camera and 
and said the lyrics that he wasn't supposed to say. He was also a hostage in the Bruckheimer Simpson film, The Rock. Uh, he was the one that, um, what's his name? Uh, the general was holding hostage when, when, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Connery came up to you know turn himself in basically bizarre film really really bizarre film but you know if you can find a copy damn it track it down and watch it I- I'm serious I- I'm not kidding I-, I would not lead you astray on this it is at least worth a what the huh watching of this film um, in the back you had comics reporter also known in some things as comics screen uh, where it has an article discussing that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger may come back as as Conan. And Comic Screen was where you had the dirt on where all of the comic book properties that the reporter could find in production, where they stood as far as where they were in terms of being in production, and what was coming on now. Um <laughs> These things were usually dead wrong. I mean, some of them are right. There was Zorro, half-hour TV series, airs on Family Channel, Zorro played by Duncan Regar. I loved that show. I watched the heck out of that show. It was really, really fun little series, uh, even though it was on the Family Channel, which was formerly the, the Christian Channel. But, but here's another thing. Superman. Superman 5 is being developed. Chris Reeve may be involved as writer, director, star. There's no go-ahead for shooting, but it may lens eventually in Florida. So that never happened. So there you go. But then again, certain things did. The Rocketeer. Film. Disney. Joe Johnston, new director. Script. Danny Bilson and Paul DeMaio to shoot this summer. Now casting. And that came out the next year. God, I love that movie. Really love that movie. Uh, Batman, Batman Two script, Sam Hamm. That's uh, that's all. That's all they have on that. So, Sam Hamm's script was eventually uh, ejected for. God, what is his name? Daniel Waters came in and wrote a script, and boy, Batman Returns was terrible. I don't. I don't like that one. I'm sorry. I really don't. And a couple months later. I was in the Comic Vault, and I found Comic Scene number 15, and it has a Tiny Toon Adventures cover. And I was just like, what the hell is this? I would eventually become addicted to Tiny Toon Adventures. And I have to hand it to Warner, Brother, Warner Brothers Animation of this time period, because, my God, they prepped me as a ninth grader with Tiny Toon Adventures, and then when I was a senior, they gave me Animaniacs, and one just went right into the other. At the top it says Dick Tracy Beatty Speaks, Hoffman Mumbles, uh, we have Spider-Man versus Spirits of the Earth with a picture of Spider-Man in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, Steven Spielberg and Warner Brothers Unleash Tiny Toon Adventures. Interviews, Van Williams, Joe Simon, Steve Gerber, and Dave Gibbons. Terminator, New Nightmares, and Enemy Ace, War Paint. So we have another ad for the Dick Tracy masks. We got another word balloons by the editor David McDonald. Uh, they have a comic scene, which is kind of little bits and pieces of upcoming comics. They have a piece on the then upcoming Mighty Mouse six issue series that Marvel did. There is. I actually have this series. Caliber Press put out a Rocky Horror Picture Show adaptation in comic book form. God, it was weird. Uh, there's also an 
a piece on Indiana Jones riding into stores via Dark Horse Comics. And then we get into the articles. We have Illustrated Spirits, which is uh, an overview of the Charles Vest Spirits of the Earth Spider-Man graphic novel, which which looked really cool. The artwork in this is really awesome. Have a pretty extensive interview with Dave Gibbons covering uh, his Green Lantern work, the Watchmen, the Martha Washington stuff, the uh, World's Finest limited series that Jeffrey and I will be discussing next week on From Crisis to Crisis. Got an interview with Steve Gerber called Is Steve Gerber Overworked? This was kind of a a thing that comic scene would do. They would they would pose questions like Is this is Legion fandom dead? Is this writer or artist overworked? So uh, had a have a interview with George Pratt about the Enemy Ace uh, prestige format book. I think it was a prestige format book. Is that a prestige format book, or was that just a special? In any case, uh, never read it. Not a big war comics guy. Got a Joe Simon interview about his early days in, in, in comic books. We got the New Tunes on the Block, which is an overview of Tiny Toon Adventures, and they have a picture here of a very, very young Paul Dini, who uh, who worked on that. Who was one of the writers on the show, and they, they kind of go through what the sh- who's going to be on the show, what the characters are going to be like. Uh, we have an interview with the TV Green Hornet Van Williams, and we find out uh, all some inside stuff on that show. We have I really have no idea what I'm looking at. Mark Wheatley and Mark Hempel unveil a reluctant succubus designed to leave you breathless. I have no memory of this article, probably for the best. It doesn't look like something I would want to read. Uh, have an article on the Terminator comic that was coming out at the time. An interview with George Jetson himself, because this was is this was around the time that the Jetsons movie was coming out, and God was that thing terrible. Have an article on Roller Coaster Rabbit taking a small child firmly by the hand. Roger Rabbit zooms off on an animated ride. It was one of the shorts that they would have before a film. I forget which movie this went before. Oh, it went before Dick Tracy. Okay, I'm a dumbass. We have a piece on a Sherlock Holmes comic that was coming out at the time. That looks kind of interesting. I should reread that at some point. Another interview with uh, with Warren Beatty, and a little side interview with D- uh, with uh, Dustin Hoffman, who played Mumbles. And then we get into the comics reporter and comics screen, and this was one of the first pictures that I saw, and I was really excited for this. I was so freaking excited. You can't you can't understand how much I was looking forward to the Flash series. And this issue of Comic Scene had the first picture of what the Flash's costume was going to look like. And I was just like, that is so badass. God, I love that show. That was another reason why I was really interested in Comic Scene at this time. They they had a couple articles on the Flash, and it was pretty badass. They have an article here on Captain Planet. I know there are people out there that like Captain Planet. I'm not one of them. I hated the show. I thought it was pretty stupid. It's not that I am not interested in the environment. It's not that I am not interested in conservation. I just thought it was a stupid, stupid show with the dumbest villains this side of Voltron. So 
send all your hate mail to me about me making fun of Voltron. Um, can't watch it anymore. I'm sorry. I can't. It's just not going to happen. So, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> let's see. What do we got here? Blackhawk, Phil, Amblin Studios, script by Dan Aykroyd. I would want to see a Blackhawk film written by Dan Aykroyd. I think that would be really, really cool. I really do. Uh, uh, apparently, as I'm looking through these a little more, Cracked Magazine had a superhero parody in development. Uh, eventually we would get that in the form of superhero movie. I think that's what it was called that I have never seen because uh, it just looked dumb. Though my wife... <laughs> this surprises the shit out of me. She really wants to go see Vampires Suck. I'm shocked. Usually she hates those films, so I guess we'll be seeing that. This does have a bit on Family Dog. Primetime half-hour animated series, 13 episodes, producers Steven Spielberg and Tim Burton. Family Dog was a, an episode of Amazing Stories, and uh, I do believe this went into production. I, I, I seem to remember watching episodes of it. This also has a, <laughs> this has a bit on the New Adventures of He-Man, a 65-episode series due fall 1990. I saw exactly one episode of that and did not like it, though this other podcast called Master's Cast that I've been listening to recently um, made it seem like maybe I should at least give it a look. You know, probably not going to ever happen, but I don't I don't feel like spending the money. I, I guess if I get Netflix, I'll, uh, I'll go with that. Uh, Superboy syndicated TV series, third season begins this fall. Ian Mitchell Smith left the cast, so goodbye Andy McAllister. Uh, they have a thing on Superman. Superman 5 being written by Mark Jones and Carrie Bates. Chris Reeve says he won't be involved. So in those two months, Chris Reeve dropped out. Eventually you would see things like maybe Superman the New Movie or Young Superman featuring Gerard Christopher, which I really, really would have liked to have seen. Um, there's a... <laughs> there's a bit here on The Prowler film, funny book films. The Prowler was an Eclipse character that was very much the kill em all let God sort em out type of vigilante. I have read two of the miniseries and one of the specials. I enjoyed them. They're just really odd bits of business because he is not a superhero. It's like it's like the shadow, but with absolutely no charisma. So um on the inside back cover of this issue, we have a Raphael Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mask that looks really, really creepy. And on the back of both of these, they have... Jeffrey and I have talked about these over on From Crisis to Crisis, but they're full-page ads for American Comics and Entertainment, and I would pour over these things because... Even though I had comic shops in the area, the concept of getting comics in the mail always appealed to me. And there's just, you know, I would just sit there, I would add things up, seeing how much something would have been. Never ordered a single thing, because I never had any money to do so. But you can kind of gauge where the the comic book zeitgeist was by looking at, at the ones they chose to feature on the issue, on, on the one on the back of 14, they have a big thing for the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man series. You have a thing on Aliens, Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Punisher, RoboCop, X-Men, and The Simpsons. 
And on the back of number 15, you have Aliens, Batman, The Punisher, TMNT, Wolverine, X-Men, and Spider-Man. So those were what were hot at that time. So it's it's kind of interesting looking at these uh, little bits of um, time capsules, I guess you would call them. And I hope I didn't ramble on too much there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was it was nice to actually get something out for this week. Again, next week, we have Luke Giaconetti. Am I saying that right? I think I'm saying that right. Uh, and he will be here to spend about 16, 17 minutes talking about a back issue of his choice. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, so uh, I really don't know what he has in mind. But he's going to be here, and hopefully the week after that, I will have something with somebody, or I will be here all by my lonesome again. So you all take care, and remember to write the show at backtothebins at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the 2 True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.